0: Hello, and welcome to Humans of Magic. I'm your host, James Sue. This is episode 91 with Luca Von Dunn, better known as Legend VD. Legend VD is a content creator on YouTube and a master at brewing Magic the Gathering decks. So in this episode, we're going to talk about his beginnings as a YouTuber his process, whether it's creating videos or brewing decks or producing content of all sorts. And you're just going to get an up close and personal look at how Luca approaches his craft. I mean, Legend VD's videos are just so well-crafted. And this conversation will give you insight as to how he does it. Before we get started, just a few quick announcements. I'm very excited that I am finally getting my first preview card from Wizards of the Coast for Streets of New Capenna. That's right. Spoiler season is here. The set is almost here. And I have access to not just one, but two spoilers. To get the spoilers, make sure you follow Humans of Magic on Twitter, Humans of Magic, where I will be making the spoiler announcements later this week. You can also follow us on humansofmagic.com or consider supporting us at patreon.com humansofmagic. We also have a new Instagram account also called humans of magic. So if you're into that stuff, please give us a follow. The music in the show is brought to you by KUPLA, K-U-P-L-A. KUPLA makes music that transcends genres and is guaranteed to be a tour de force. Please give him a follow on Twitter at Koopla Sound and listen, stream his music on all the major platforms where music can be streamed, including Spotify and SoundCloud. Oh yeah, one more thing. In addition to the Streets of New Capena spoiler this week, please stay tuned to Humans of Magic next week where I'll be releasing my interview with Carmen Handy, designer and cube designer for Wizards of the Coast. Carmen is going to share some of her stories from working on Streets of New Capenna. That's right, the new set. So please stay tuned next week for some exciting Humans and Magic content. Now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Legend VD. Welcome to the podcast, Luca. How are you doing today? Pretty well, pretty well. First question I want to ask you is, how did you come up with the... Legend VD, like was it just something that you had when you were young or was it just fits in very naturally with your name did you like the word legend for some reason and adapted it like how what's the story behind that <laughs> originally i had a different username but um
1: i was playing counter strike at the time uh the first person shooter and um i wanted to join this group of people that used to play together but there was already someone with the same name as me uh, that I used to have. So I basically had to change my name so I could, you know, be part of that group. And so I changed it to Legend, which I thought was just a, a cool sounding name as a 14-year-old. And uh, then later, when having to sign up for accounts and certain websites, of course, the name Legend was almost always taken so I had to come up with a slight alternative. And since my initials are LVD, I just put the V before the D, and there you have Legend V D.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that's definitely a harder name to have a duplicate of in different games and different services. So that is inventive, creative, and very practical. I also am curious. So you try to find a home for every card. Like, Can you tell me the, your mindset or your thinking behind that? That must also be part of what attracts you to Magic in some way, correct? Yeah, deck building is certainly what interests
1: me the most in Magic and in a lot of deck building games. I just like, you know, tinkering with card ideas and trying to kind of fit in certain puzzle pieces in kind of the, the grander scheme of things and uh, trying to optimize how certain cards and interactions work. So that's what, keeps me going basically so whenever i see a spoiler i'm pretty much thinking okay this card i can probably build that way this card can probably go with another card i saw earlier and i try to build as many decks as possible
0: i like the fact that you mentioned well deck building and also puzzles can i assume that this is not the first magic's not the first game that involved deck building for you Uh, Yeah, I've definitely played other deck-building games
1: before. Of course, like most kids um, in my town where we grew up, we all kind of played the same card games like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! at a certain point, even though I don't remember many people actually playing the game. It was more about collecting the cards back then, whereas I was more interested in actually playing the game and trying to build decks with the cards I had.
0: Got it. And is there something about puzzles in general that that you're attracted to? I guess it's the puzzle solving or the mystery solving, or is it something else?
1: Yeah, I just, you know, if there's some sort of uh, cool, I guess, intricate way to think about things, and there's maybe only one or two solutions, then it's always nice to come up with the right one. And that also kind of brings me back to the puzzles on the earlier... Magic Duels games on uh, PC, which is kind of how I really got started making videos in the first place. So you had these, basically, scenarios presented to you where you only maybe had one turn to defeat the opponent. Um, The game would basically give you a set hands of cards that you had to work with. Sometimes you actually had to draw cards from the deck, so there were a few unknowns, so you might have to go through the challenge a few times to get more info on, you know, which cards you could draw next. And then, uh, yeah, you would have to piece together a way to win the game on the very same turn. And uh, it also was a great teaching tool, as it would basically present you with different keywords or mechanics that you maybe weren't familiar with. I remember this uh, one challenge involving a big lifelinking first ranking angel, I think it was Baneslayer Angel, and uh, you basically had to kill your own creature to prevent the first strike lifelink damage so you could still deal lethal damage to the opponent. I remember that one sticking with me for a while since it wasn't the most obvious um, solution necessarily. So yeah, you just had a, a bunch of these different scenarios and uh, yeah, cool solutions to them. And uh, they pretty much used to be in all the magic duels of the Planeswalker games and uh, I was a, a big
0: fan of those. That's fantastic. I, I have to admit, I was someone who got into magic quite early on. But what I do remember as a magic puzzle that is not even a digital puzzle is the old, um, the Duelist magazines. And they, right, they, right, they right. were the magazines in the 90s. Uh, I'm not sure if you or listeners have seen them, but Mark Rosewater used to create the puzzles on the I think it was the last page or second last page of the magazine. And I don't think it was that intricate, like the it, nothing like the Bane Slayer Angel, but it was still very interesting. And it made me realize that magic was kind of like a framework or a rule set, but you could do a lot of things within that system, right? It's kind of like um, the engine, if you will. And the puzzles is like, uh, unfortunately, it's it's not something that, we as magic players get exposed to all that much because oftentimes it's just like the puzzle is right there in the gameplay. Like how do I win this turn or, or things like that? But it, it, it's, um, it's a, it's a really fascinating, I think it's under field. And so you, you did duels of the planeswalkers or you played it. And like, was that when you got more deeply involved in magic? Yeah. So I used
1: to play magic way back in the day and, um, Basically, the Duels of the Planeswalker games reintroduced me to it after I had been gone from the game for a while. And uh, yeah, it's basically those puzzles that I was talking about that kind of convinced me to basically post my first video on YouTube. As uh, the new game just came out, it had a bunch of new puzzles, and I was kind of excited to share the solutions for those. So, of course, I did put a little spoiler warning at the start of the video to make sure people didn't accidentally uh, watch the solution if they didn't want to be spoiled. But uh, yeah, I tried to post them as soon as possible, basically the day the game came out. Because I was, you know, pretty quick at solving them. So I would post this uh, quick video without any commentary at the time. Just kind of showing uh, the solution to the puzzles in case people were stuck. And uh, yeah, those were my very first magic videos on YouTube. And since they were pretty well received, the next year I did them again, once again with those puzzles. And I think this time I did some commentary in addition to just showing the solutions, maybe with a bit of text. So now I was actually doing voiceover and that was also well received. And basically from there, I started making more gameplay
0: videos as well. And uh, yeah, never really stopped doing them. That's that's great, I mean, you have a great voice for podcasting or videos, and it's it's actually hard for me to imagine in your first videos like you didn't actually have your voice right It was just the the puzzles themselves with maybe some some text it sounds like
1: yeah, definitely, and to be honest, like doing videos over the years, I've definitely noticed an improvement in you know my way of speaking and. Uh, My English as well, because if you go back to those old videos, I don't necessarily recommend it, but uh, (laughs) you can definitely hear a noticeable difference in my speaking.
0: Yeah, I think for many of us, we, I can't speak for everybody, but I definitely remember earlier on when I was creating some sort of content, I was very conscious of my own voice. I honestly, I just didn't like hearing my own voice and I think it's a lot better now. But it's, there's still some part of that in me, that sort of self-consciousness. I'm not sure if you still feel that today or if you've ever felt that become a better over the years.
1: Yeah, I definitely felt it strongly at the beginning. But, you know, having listened to my own voice, having to edit my videos for so many years, I've grown used to it. So it doesn't bother me much anymore. But uh, there was certainly a while where it uh, kind of rubbed me the
0: wrong way so luca how did you get started with magic exactly because i you know you mentioned that you played other games what was the initial sort of foray into magic give me an idea as to how long ago it was and and all of that
1: yeah so my very first i guess contact with magic like seeing a magic card must have been uh around like um i gotta find the equivalent because of course our school system is slightly different here in Belgium. But I guess it would be like primary school. Um, so it must have been, you know, less than 10 years old. And uh, just came across this big stack of magic cards that were involved in some trades for a different card game. So I didn't really pay much attention to it back then. But, I mean, I definitely remember, like, the, the magic cards sticking with me for a while. But So i never really played the game back then. But then... few years later um, in Italy. We were on vacation and we were we're hanging out at the beach basically and uh, one of my mom's friends, because my mom's from Italy, uh, she had a son as well and we basically hung out together and he was into magic and he's the one that really introduced me and my brother to the game and uh, yeah, basically got us uh, hooked to the game. That's when we cracked our first pack. Uh, It was... uh, a pack of Darksteel. Steel. remember my first cards? Um, me and my brother opened was a Sundering Titan it's a, a very large artifact creature that destroys lands when it enters the battlefield so a pretty cool card to open as our first one and uh, yeah basically played very casually uh, the rules weren't you know exactly being followed the way they should uh, so some things still weren't entirely clear but we were having a good time we were just playing very casually with the cards we had and uh, got our first couple boosters basically started growing our collection I remember for the longest time we didn't have enough basic lands to build all the decks we wanted to don't think we had any islands for instance so basic lands were hard to come by so that also restricted some of our deck building options but then uh, yeah, slowly picked up a few more starter decks and got more into the game But this was also like pre-searching things on the internet. So we didn't necessarily know which cards we were going to be able to open by cracking certain packs. And we basically bought cards blind, getting starter decks just based on the the picture on the front. So it was a very exciting time because there was so much mystery still involved. Whereas now, of course, you just see the spoiler day one and there's no real surprises left. So, yeah, it was a, a fun time exploring magic, just, uh, yeah, playing with my brother mostly. And then, um, I guess, around Lorwyn, uh, we bought a pack, but we didn't like the theme too much. So, that's when we kind of started playing less Magic, and, uh, yeah, then we basically dropped it for a couple of years, until I rediscovered it with uh, Magic Duels games around must have been 2011 2012 and uh yeah then basically never stopped playing since
0: so this is really interesting because i'm i'm trying to figure out if you're just a a regular gamer like because i i want to say that i'm sure there's a lot of people that got into magic because of the digital offerings but for duels of the planeswalkers and you you know obviously being exposed to magic before and then wanting to come back because of the digital client. Like, did you ha, do you play? I guess the question is: first of all, do you play a lot of digital games in general? Yeah, for sure. Um, played a lot of different games
1: growing up. Um, the ones I spent most time playing were probably first-person shooters, like uh, Counter Strike, Source. But didn't really play the serious game modes. It was more about like the fun game modes that were more community created. Like there was the zombie game mode for instance that I remember having a lot of fun with where people had like infinite ammo and they got to just shoot back zombies trying to enter your house and you could build all these weird barricades using vending machines and filing cabinets and that was a good time and uh, another game was uh, Team Fortress 2 definitely spent a lot of time playing Um, but yeah played a pretty wide variety in general. And uh, yeah, magic was just one of them back in the day, but uh, definitely a bigger part of my life now.
0: Cool, yeah. And as I understand, Counter Strike and Team Fortress are also sort of what did they begin as mods of Half Life? Was it was was that what it was? Like they um, in, in yeah, their own ways, think... they were modified versions of some existing engine.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I think the first Team Fortress was very different looking from the second one. And I think that one was indeed like a Half-Life mod. And then, uh, yeah, I think Counter-Strike was also originally maybe a community created. And then Valve later decided to make it their own. So, yeah, I mean, that's how a lot of games, I think, get started nowadays. Thinking of some of the, like, Warcraft games and League of Legends are also
0: started as kind of community modes. Did you yourself dabble in creating custom content for for games and and such, or? I actually did. I
1: did spend a little bit of time
0: trying to learn like
1: the mapping tools for making maps on you know various uh, source games, and uh, didn't really you know get anything special published outside of like our private server that we hung out with friends. But uh, yeah, I did remember some of those skills and later in life actually in university i managed to use those tools to make one of our or make a game for one of my assignments so yeah kind of went full circle
0: yeah okay so i guess i correctly assume that you you like to to dabble in those kinds of things so that that is um that is quite cool and then I ask you about the digital games because I want to know how you how you would compare something like Magic Digitally like whether it's Duels or Arena to other digital games because obviously you have quite a frame of reference to draw from.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Magic like the digital clients get a lot of things right. Um like I think they did a good job trying to speed up the the pace of the game. Uh, as opposed to, you know, Paper Magic or Magic Online, where there's more stops involved. And I think the, you know, auto-tapper, for instance, while it may have its faults overall, is a good thing. And uh, for the most part, Magic Arena does a good job of holding priority where it needs to and letting the game flow so it's not too, you know, slow-paced. So I think Magic does a pretty good job at some things, but it could also, you know, use some improvements, especially the Arena client. Comparing it to other, you know, free-to-play digital offerings, um, it could maybe shift more towards monetizing uh, cosmetics, for instance, as opposed to trying to keep people from exploring more decks and, in general, keeping them from uh, expanding their collections, which I think limits both the creativity from People because they don't have as many tools to work with, but it also kind of limits which decks you end up playing against online, which once again kind of restricts you know how many uh, experiences people have playing the game and also the fun factor, the replayability, etc. So yeah, there's still definitely room for improvement, but kind of having listened to the recent economy streams about arena. It doesn't seem like there's going to be too much change on that front.
0: Yeah, there's a quite a lot of uh, community reaction on that one, and I also want to ask Luca if you if you ever dabbled a bit in Magic Online or other other forms other than Arena. Yeah, so I started with Magic Duels. It was
1: originally called Duels of the Planeswalkers, and they had like various editions like 2012 2013 2014 and then i think it was after 2015 they came out with um a different version of the duels games because it used to be that the duels games had these basically pre-built decks with maybe a 15 card sideboard quote-unquote of cards you could swap in and out based on your preferences. But then they came out with the Magic Duels game where you could actually freely build your own decks and you just had kind of a collection of cards to choose from. There were still a couple restrictions compared to regular Magic. You only had uh, four of each common, three of each uncommon at most, two of each rare, and one of each mythic rare. So you couldn't just build a deck full of mythic rares. Um, So there were a few weird kind of restrictions. But for the first time in the duels games you could actually build whatever decks you wanted. And of course that was a big draw for me because I had a lot more creativity in deck building now. And uh, I would also feature a bunch of different decks on my YouTube channel. And then, sadly, around um, 2017 they decided to pull the plug on the duels games. And uh, that was, of course, because in the background they were working on Magic Arena, but we didn't know that at the time. We just knew that there would be some new digital offering coming at some point uh, in the next years. So 2017 was also the year I graduated, and um, I was basically doing Magic videos on the side kind of as a hobby. And uh, the day I graduated, I remember setting up my Patreon page to see if I could do magic videos full-time for a while and uh, because of course now they pulled the plug on the magic duels games I had to find a different way to play magic and the only option then was magic online so for about a year I would basically only play magic online for my videos and uh, a couple times a week basically post uh, a new video based around a new deck idea And then I would slowly branch out into more formats and kind of more mini-series, if you'd like, starting out with more budget-friendly decks called Friendly Friday. Then uh, I had a a series called Wacky Wednesday, where I would build kind of crazier decks, which are kind of like the against the odds style decks. And then I would have this uh, series called Spike Sunday, which were more competitive decks. And so I would try and add more and more to my repertoire, And then, you know, about a year later, they announced Magic Arena. And of course, I was very excited about it, participated in all the early alpha and beta stages to try and give as much feedback as possible. At first, they didn't let you share any footage from the game. But as soon as they let you stream the game, I would start, you know, making videos about it and streaming it on Twitch as well. So that's where I kind of got started streaming on Twitch more. Before then, I maybe streamed once or twice on the Magic Duels clients, but not that much. And uh, yeah, so now I got my start in in Magic Arena. And of course, with Arena coming out, a lot of people got more interested in the game, found my channel, which slowly started growing. And uh, yeah,
0: basically kept growing ever since. I I would say that it's been huge growth i mean maybe maybe by your (laughs) by your definition it's slow growing over several years but i mean just looking at it now it's uh it's quite it's quite massive so i i want to congratulate you on all the growth that you've that you've experienced up to today i mean it's it's quite amazing in my opinion
1: yeah thank you i mean it's at the end of the day just a number but uh still means a lot, and I'm happy that people stuck around. always get comments from people saying, oh yeah, I've been watching you since the the Magic Origins or the Magic Duels days, and uh,
0: it's always nice to hear that they stuck around. So did you say that you became a full-time content creator since 2017? Is that around that time?
1: Yep, around uh, June uh, 2017, I believe, is when I set up my Patreon page. And so, of course, at first it was not necessarily a guarantee that it was going to work out. And, uh, you know, looking back at the money I made back then, it wasn't much, but, uh, luckily I had my parents to rely on. So I had a place to stay and didn't have to worry about money too much. And then, yeah, slowly kept growing. And now I'm at a, a point where it's at least financially stable so I can keep doing it for a while. What did you study in school? So I studied engineering, uh, specialized eventually in computer science, and then within computer science, human-computer interaction, which involves user interfaces and how people kind of interact with software, trying to make that experience better and seeing where there's room for improvement. And uh, I remember one of my favorite assignments within that uh, kind of field of study was to eventually build their own video game, with sort of a novel input mechanic. So we couldn't just use keyboard and mouse, but we had to come up with something a little different. And that's when I kind of used my knowledge from making maps in the Counter-Strike days to kind of build my map and then eventually my game that uh, involved kind of using your phone as a an input device so you could kind of tilt it back and forth as a, a way of controlling certain characters.
0: Got it. You have quite a, a background in, in video editing because even before 2017, you were creating videos and perhaps even before Magic, you were creating videos. So can you talk a bit about your experience in that? Because it really seems like a passion to me, like in terms of your your affinity for doing these types of things. Yeah.
1: So growing up in school, I was an avid YouTube watcher since the early days And uh, I've always had this, you know, desire to eventually make my own YouTube videos. But I didn't necessarily know what it would be about or, you know, I didn't really have any special skills or any talents that I could show off to the world. So for a long time, I would just, you know, think about, you know, what could I make. And like most kids back in the day, of course, I went through my Call of Duty and Minecraft uh, phases which now are no longer published on the channel, but those were actually the first couple videos I posted before doing the magic content. Uh, but of course, those never really took off. And uh, so I always had this desire to make videos for YouTube. And uh, once I got into magic, and you know, slowly started getting better at magic, attending more tournaments to improve my skills, that's when uh, I realized that I could maybe just do magic videos and make that work. So I tried a lot of different things beforehand
0: and uh, magic is kind of what stuck. Got it. Just tying it to your studies, you study computer science and HCI. So was your original plan just to basically make a career out of that? And content creation was, uh, was a plan B, like let's just throw out the Patreon and see how, how many pledges or support I get? Or how, how did you feel about that during 2017?
1: Yeah, so I guess it was a gradual thing where as I was starting to finish my studies, it dawned on me more and more that maybe this isn't quite what I was meant to be doing in my life. While there were parts of it that I liked, like the things I mentioned about making your own games, there was a lot of stuff that I didn't particularly like or see myself doing full-time. So yeah, basically came to the realization that I should probably follow my gut instinct here. And since I had been doing magic content for a couple of years and the channel, you know, was growing steadily, I felt that I should at least give myself the chance of doing magic full-time, even if looking back at it, it was a pretty big gamble, but uh, definitely one that paid off.
0: So what do you like or love about creating magic content?
1: Well... Unlike other creators I've heard, I actually enjoy reading the comments on YouTube and interacting with (laughs) them. So, um, yeah, I I kind of wake up excitedly to kind of read the comments of the video I posted uh, the night before. And, uh, yeah, I just like interacting with people. I like seeing what people think about certain deck ideas. Maybe they have some suggestions on how to change the deck or improve it. And I always take those comments on board to kind of improve both my deck building as well as my content in general. Um, If there's any like feedback on the production value, I, I try to take those on board as well. So I'm always trying to basically improve and make my videos better. So
0: what's really interesting, at least to me, is that the feedback and the Interactions with the I'll, I'll call it the audience is something that you enjoy, but you still prefer the YouTube format as opposed to something that's more live, like Twitch streaming, right? Because I know that you said that you had the the streams, but now you're more on the YouTube content. So how do you how do you think about these sorts of things, like in terms of the medium fulfilling? your wants or your expectations.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty interesting concept. I think it kind of goes back to, you know, me being a bit of a, a more introverted uh, person. And even back in kind of the school days, I wouldn't be the most social kid necessarily. But then again, once it came to giving presentations in front of class, as long as I had time to prepare them, I was actually pretty happy to do them, and I think pretty good at them too. So, I think that kind of mirrors back with Twitch and YouTube to an extent. If I have time to prepare and kind of perfect my craft and fine-tune, because I'm also kind of a, a perfectionist in that way, then, you know, releasing a YouTube video, you you know what you're going to get, and, uh, you know, people will enjoy it for what it is, whereas Twitch is kind of more raw, live stream don't know what's going to happen, so I don't feel necessarily as prepared as when it comes to making a a YouTube video, and then I'm also probably not the best person when it comes to multitasking, interacting with chat, and paying attention to the game at the same time, so I feel like the medium doesn't necessarily match my personality uh, too well.
0: Got it. I think it's making a lot of sense. And I actually think hearing your story or your how you think about things that you and I might actually have some similarities, even though I'm not a YouTuber, I do feel certain things that are related to what you're feeling. For example, first of all, I study computer science as well. So um, I definitely enjoy doing those projects where I had to create a game or uh, write my own OS and things like that. Just the idea of tinkering, I think I really... I'm really into that and puzzles, of course, not, not as deeply as you got into the, uh, the duels puzzles, but I, I definitely remember the, the, the old school magic puzzles fondly. But I also think that there's something about us as content creators or a lot of us as magic content creators, we're really not extroverted. But we like doing these kind of things, and I also don't do anything live. <laughs> like I told you before the interview, like I'm this is pre-recorded, and uh, we can do different takes and things like that. So I, I like having that. I like having that control as well, quite frankly, because like you know it, when you're like you you feel like you don't have control when you're when you're streaming because it's just something it's 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 an out of body experience. You don't actually own the content anymore if you know what I mean.
1: Yep, I'm definitely on board with that and got a lot
0: of the same kind of sentiments. I also want to know like how you we'll also go back into the magic stuff for sure Luca but I also cuz we're on this topic like how did you develop your YouTube style because when I watch your videos there's something very distinctive it's first of all I think it's like pixel perfect or I should say frame perfect and the way things are edited like it just seems like I'm going to I'm going to assume here but You probably have spent an ungodly amount of time just making sure that like this frame syncs with this voiceover. You probably done things like let me record ten voiceovers, ten takes for this, and to get the right one, you you pick like the perfect music, the the tone, the titling of the videos. Like, there's a lot of intricate things that go into it. It's it's just the only way I can describe it in one phrase is like it's very well crafted, right? So, I mean, how did you arrive at what the audience sees today like was it a process like did you have to find different ways to do it I guess it's kind of a general question
1: yeah thanks it's it's nice to be appreciated in that way because I know a lot of people don't necessarily pay too much attention to the the details like that but uh, it was certainly more of a, a gradual thing once again and it also kind of stems from me consuming a lot of magic content in the early days when I was still, you know, trying trying to improve my game and learning from people that are better than me. I watched a lot of content on websites like Channel Fireball and Star City Games, and uh, other various websites. So I was consuming a lot of magic content, kind of taking people's vocabulary on board as well. So, me, you know, maybe some phrases I use might have been inspired by other people's uh, use of words, blended those together and made them my own style. And uh, yeah, basically tried to take comments on board that I got over time to try and fine-tune some aspects of my videos. Um, But I've been doing basically the same general format for a long time of, uh, you know, doing the The deck explanation at the beginning and then showing some footage of gameplay afterwards that hasn't really changed over time but some of the finer details have
0: what would you say are your biggest influences as a youtuber Uh, i guess it's a general question it doesn't even have to be magic influences because i do feel like you're pulling from many years if not decades of just consuming youtube
1: yeah, so it's it's pretty difficult to pin down one big influence. Like I said, I just consumed a lot of magic content over the years and uh, a lot of general YouTube content as well. So I don't think I can point to one specific you know, influence. But uh, yeah, overall, just growing up with uh, an internet connection, I guess, would be my biggest influence.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Very well said or answered. I also want to mention the one video that I think it's really, really well done, and I'm sure this is a favor for a lot of viewers of yours, which is the kind of the the dual plus commentary you had with Brian Braun doing. Like, that was, a, that was quite a just masterfully produced and just everything about it, I, I guess we can link to it in the show notes, but for those who haven't seen it yet, but Can you tell me a bit about how you conceptualized and created that?
1: Yeah, so I was playing in this digital tournament on Magic Arena. It was organized by uh, Red Bull, I believe. And um, they had people in the tournament live stream their experience. And I was uh, live streaming uh, my point of view as well. I think you could even play multiple decks in the event, so you could switch decks every round. So I had prepared a few different deck lists and then randomly let the chat decide which deck I should play in a certain match. And so uh, the match, or rather the deck my chat chose for this particular match was uh, a Blue Red Phoenix deck. So this was around like War of the Spark and um, I was matched against uh, BBD, which was Uh, I don't know if he was currently the reigning world champion or maybe the year before. But uh, either way, I was very excited to play against him. And this was best of three, uh, which, you know, nowadays I mostly play best of one. But it used to be that I played a lot of best of three as well. And uh, since uh, BBD was also streaming his perspective uh, of the match, I basically had footage of both points of view. And then I asked his permission to basically use some of his video and audio to make a video. And uh, thankfully, he agreed. And so I was able to take the footage from both perspectives and show both players' hands. And uh, because both Brian and myself kind of um, voice our uh, thought process a lot, I was able to take both kind of voice lines and uh, it was a nice back and forth of people trying to predict the, the opponent's next move and then uh it would often you know come true in the in the gameplay so it was interesting to see how kind of the back and forth went and being able to see both hands it was just a nice video to put together and i had a lot of positive feedback in the comments saying how it was well edited but to be fair it was actually not much more effort than my typical youtube video so It was uh, just a a nice coincidence that we were both streaming and I was able to use both perspectives.
0: I mean, if it was not that much effort compared to the normal YouTube video, to me, that just suggests your normal video is a lot of effort. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm watching that and I'm just like, it's just so seamlessly edited. Because I didn't watch the, the match in real time, so I didn't even know that you just took his audio; it sounds like, and just spliced it together with yours. I thought that you actually had Brian record after you completed the video in in some sort of post production thing. But the way you did it, it just looks so, or just it just yeah, it just sounds and looks so seamless, which is amazing. Yeah, thank you. Was there a particular reason why you wanted to use that match? Uh, just because it was against
1: a good opponent and. It was an interesting match that went to Game 3, spoiler alert. Um, (laughs) So I just thought it would make for a a good video that was maybe something my audience hadn't really seen before because I wasn't posting a ton of Best of 3 content to YouTube.
0: Yeah, and I think it's also because he described his lines of play so well. So it's like, you know, you do a good job of explaining it. He does a great job of explaining it. So it just kind of comes together, I guess, yeah, exactly.
1: I don't think I would be able to make the same type of video with just any opponents streaming on Twitch. If they're not like explaining their thought process, it wouldn't really work the same way.
0: Right. Tell me a bit about your involvement in competitive play, or organized play, because I mean, that was a a, a pretty high level tournament, the Red Bull one. But just in terms of your competitive career quote-unquote like what what, what's it been like for you because you obviously played and experienced success even in paper environments right
1: yeah so it was a, a gradual thing as many things are in life so started playing at my local store doing you know fnm with the the decks i had with uh the boosters i opened pretty much and uh Slowly started expanding my collection, going to more local tournaments, eventually traveling to some uh, GPs as well, more locally first, and then traveling a bit further as time went on, and then with my friend group from the local game store, we would usually travel to GPs together, and then when they introduced kind of the PPTQ system, that's when I started going to going into more of those pptqs as well to qualify for the regional uh, ptqs and around the same time i also made the top four of a team gp with two of my friends from the local game store so we qualified for our very first pro tour which was a lot of fun and then also ended up making the bronze player status which was relatively new at the time was close to getting silver when they changed the entire system so then i was no longer really pursuing the pro career Basically wanted to improve my own skills so I could then impart that knowledge on my audience through my YouTube videos Because I felt like if you know, I'm not any good at the game Then what's the point of making those YouTube videos because then people won't necessarily Like watching me play in the first place. So I wanted to get better at the game So I could make better videos is basically the the gist of it and at a certain point I also thought that maybe achieving some success in magic would help me reach a bigger audience. But eventually, that didn't really turn out to be entirely the the best approach. I think just making content is probably just the best way to reach a bigger audience as opposed to trying to achieve some big uh, goal in competitive magic.
0: I think it speaks to just maybe life in general, like you just have to focus on some things, right? Because magic is so broad that you you can try to do a whole bunch of things. But if your number one goal is to create videos or to get better at that, or what have you, then you should probably just keep doing that, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, I think just in general, kind of honing your, your skills, doing one thing is usually the best approach in life, as opposed to, you know, trying to branch out into a million different things and then not really perfecting any single craft. How did you level up as a Magic player during those times? Well, it was once again consuming a lot of Magic content, watching a lot of GP and Pro Tour coverage to see what you know the pros were doing. And uh, I guess another big level up moment is being able to afford actual competitive decks as opposed to just playing... <laughs> the, the aggro decks that played a million one drops and lots of commons and uncommons Yeah. so I th- I think there was a big level up moment finally you know getting to play with all those shiny mythics and uh, yeah just trying to play more I guess tier 1 decks if you will was another level up moment instead of trying to constantly play my own brews, which you know may be doing okay at a local level but once you go to a bigger tournament you realize why tier 1 decks are tier 1 decks
0: yeah, it's better to be tier one than against the odds if your goal is to do well in those tournaments, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I guess part of me just wanted to achieve success playing a brew, so I would, you know, maybe get the attention of people and be like, oh yeah, go go look at my YouTube channel where I post more brews like this. But uh, uh, yeah, that was a bit of a pipe dream, I think.
0: So tell me a bit about qualifying for the Mythic Invitational. Like what were the particulars of that and how did you get there?
1: Yeah, so this kind of came out of the blue. I had just, I think, received my first Christmas card from uh, the folks at Wizards, and uh, I guess I was finally on their radar, and uh, I guess because I was streaming a lot of uh, Magic Arena at the time, they reached out to a whole bunch of Magic Arena streamers to be part of this first big Mythic Invitational, which was a big arena tournament that would have a, a grand prize of... I think it was even a million dollars, and uh, so basically they invited a bunch of streamers uh, like me, and I was very surprised to be part of it, because, you know, my channel wasn't huge at the time, but uh, I think it was 32 content creators or streamers, and then 32 uh, professional players that were part of the tournament uh, in uh, Boston at PAX East, and so they flew me over, I stayed at a hotel, and then uh, yeah, participated in a pretty exciting tournament. Basically, it was Magic Arena on the big stage for the first time. So it was a big event with a a big production value as well. And uh, yeah, I was definitely excited to be part of it. It started out okay in the tournament, but sadly didn't make the second day of competition. But it was still a great experience. It was also kind of a surreal moment when I walked into the kind of... Uh, Backstage room with all the pro players I'd been watching for so many years on on coverage and reading their articles and then finally standing in a room with all of them was uh, still kind of a weird moment looking back at it but certainly one
0: I'm grateful to have been a part of would you say that's one of your fondest magic related memories or do you have other memories to draw from
1: um I think I would probably not even Classify that as one of my fondest memories. It was certainly, you know, a great experience and I'm happy to have been part of it. But, you know, not to sound corny, but I think most of my fondest uh, magic memories come down to the people I hung out with. Like back in the day playing, you know, magic with my brother when we only had a handful of cards. Just kind of, I remember this vividly. It was this hot summer day in Italy. And it just started raining, so you know the smell of hot pavements being uh, engulfed by rain. And then we were just playing magic on a balcony, and we we had some shelter from the rain, but still, you know, that uh, that environment was just one of my my fondest magic memories. And then you know later going to GPs with a group of friends those are kind of the, the memories that stuck with me the most as opposed to any particular game or match that happened.
0: I totally get you. Do you have any favorite memories, however, that are related to content creation? Like maybe the first video or the first, uh, I'm just using arbitrary examples, but just like maybe the first time somebody's comments really surprised you in a good way or like any, any of those moments that might stick out at you.
1: Um, I guess I could point towards the very first deck upgrade video I posted. So this is when on Arena they came out with all those starter decks. And one of the starter decks was the Blue-Green Merfolk deck. It was called Jungle Secrets. And I think it was a friend of mine that suggested I should make some sort of, you know, guide for newer players that were coming into Arena at the time. And it was a great suggestion because... I posted this upgrade guide where I basically went over the starter deck and then slowly uh, tried to introduce more and more cards to it uh, to gradually make it better. And uh, I guess it struck a chord with people and they really enjoyed it. And so I did more of those uh, deck upgrade videos. And looking back at my most viewed videos, those are still among the most uh, popular ones.
0: Excellent. I also want to ask you about your involvement in magic live coverage like what's it like to be involved there and how did you start doing such events
1: yeah it was the uh, untapped folks from the the Red Bull series that reached out to me and uh, I was gonna be given the opportunity to do live co- coverage of the events that was happening in Brussels so I guess then I was from Belgium, so I was someone locally who would be able to attend the event. And um, yeah, it was together with uh, Raphael Levy and Riley Knight in the coverage booth. So we would kind of alternate and do commentary over uh, the various matches. It was, I believe, it was Modern Horizons uh, Limited. And then uh, it was, you know, just Modern uh, with uh, the new Modern Horizons cards, and uh, yeah, it was just a, a very exciting experience for me since I hadn't really done live coverage before outside of, of course, streaming uh, Magic Arena on Twitch. And being kind of a a more, you know, shy individual, it was not necessarily within my comfort zone at first. But uh, both uh, Raf and Riley were very welcoming, so they kind of showed me the ropes and. Uh, It was not too difficult to pick up doing the commentary at uh at the red bull event
0: did you have any hesitance hesitancy or were you hesitant at all about initially taking on the gig when they asked you
1: oh no it was like do you want to do it and i was like instantly replied yes because i was very (laughs) excited to be part of it and uh i think i also had a few friends that were actually participating in the tournament so i could travel with them uh to the tournament so it was just a, a very fun afternoon and uh it was a very cool location in Brussels as well. So there were some cool pictures taken there too.
0: What's it like to work with Riley and Rath and did you learn anything from them?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh Riley's very good at improvising and you know, he's a, a very funny individual. So it was just fun being in the booth with him even when I wasn't doing commentary and, and I was just behind the scenes just listening to them talk. Was, uh, was a pleasure. And then, you know, being able to work with them, we later did some cooperative streams as well on Twitch. So it was a nice way to
0: kind of make some connections. What about from, from uh, just in terms of more learnings about the, the art of commentary? Like, what, what else did you pick up from either Riley or Raf?
1: Uh, well, one thing I guess is that people doing coverage, I kind of admire them in a way because they're able to do commentary while there's like a producer talking in their ear, which can be quite a distraction. So that that was something that took some getting used to at first. But um, yeah, I guess in general, because I've been watching coverage for so long, a lot of my commentary style kind of reflects the way most people would do coverage. So in that sense, it's not like I really had to change much in in my commentary style, because it already kind of mirrors uh, what they're doing in a way but uh, yeah it was still a
0: great experience to be part of given that experience are there more coverage opportunities that you want to be a part of in the future like are you are you thinking about getting involved more in that somehow or i, I guess like you said it sort of organically comes out in your videos but but i mean just in terms of the live commentary stuff
1: yeah, I mean, I'm always open uh, to do to do more commentary. But of course, when this happened, this was right before the whole pandemic started. And then live coverage, of course, didn't happen for a long time. So that kind of took the, the wind out of our sails a little bit. But uh, yeah, now that tournaments are slowly starting to build up again, I would love to be part of more of them. Uh, but of course, it's also kind of a coveted position that a, a lot of people want to be part of. So I don't necessarily want to take opportunities away from other people either. So it's uh, if if I'm asked, I'll happily participate, but I'm not like actively pursuing and messaging all the tournament organizers.
0: Got it. Okay, the next question's a little bit of a tangent, but I know that you have been streaming for a while, even though you're not as active now. Riley's a streamer. The streaming community for MTG, like, what can you tell me about? The community, whether it's Arena or otherwise, and basically the group? What what is it like to be part of that community, or just maybe the the streaming slash YouTube community, which you're a a card-carrying member of?
1: Well, it's, I guess, not an incredibly large community, uh, at least the people I'm familiar with, which also means that We tend to know each other for the most part, even though I've not necessarily done a lot of collaborations with people through all those various streamer events, like um, they used to do the early access events on Magic Arena, and then they would usually have Discord servers with all the creators in it. So if you wanted to reach out to someone, you could. But at the same time, I also feel like this was a bit reflected with uh, the Mythic Invitational there's a bit of a divide between kind of the the pro community if you will and the content creator community and there might be a little bit of overlap but it's not necessarily the case that everyone in the content creator community is familiar with everyone in the pro community etc so i've always you know tried to kind of bridge the gap between the two and try and make connections with both worlds and uh, yeah overall it's, i think a very welcoming community back when they first introduced those professional streamer contracts for some of the professional players to start streaming on Arena. Uh, I think all the people that used to stream regularly before then were you know, very welcoming to all the pro players and will, would constantly like rate them and give them tips on how to improve, etc. So overall, I'm very happy to be part of this community in general, and
0: uh, I think people are awesome in it. Yeah, speaking of awesome people, I recently saw a tweet that Voxy, the MTG streamer, posted where I believe you were in the photo with her. And that was the first time I actually saw Legend VD in flesh and blood or like a, an image of you because I know you you keep to yourself. You don't have your your face in the uh your likeness in the videos. What's it like to meet up with her and how did you guys meet up in in real life?
1: Yeah, so I was in the States for a while visiting uh, another friend, and uh, I knew she was from the Atlanta area, so basically messaged her, because we knew each other from streaming for a couple years already, did some other uh, like streams together, so basically messaged and, and we managed to meet up, and yeah, it was a great experience. She's as funny in person as she is on stream, and just a, a great person to be around.
0: Yeah, somehow I I have a sense that she's the same person offline as online. I I don't know if you can confirm or deny that. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I
1: can certainly confirm.
0: And uh she mentioned that you were you really made her day that day that you guys met up because you said some sort of joke. I'm wondering if you could uh <laughs> could repeat the joke or maybe maybe mention the particulars of that or the context. Um not entirely sure which joke this is. Oh, there were several then.
1: Uh, possibly, I, I don't know if I remember
0: all of them. Can you give me a hint? Yeah, so basically, she she gave me uh, she gave me permission to to talk about this publicly, right? She just said that she was having kind of a uh, not a great day, and somehow you cheered her up by saying some sort of joke that was so unfunny that it became funny or something. Oh, that right, effect. right, right. All right. <laughs> so it goes like this: What do you call a fish?
1: With no eye,
0: what do you call a fish with no eye? I have no idea. It's a. <laughs> <laughs> I got it! I got it! I, I'm sure she did as well. Yeah. <laughs> how, how, where do you get these jokes from? Like, are did you just did you just uh, conceptualize them yourself, or?
1: Uh, no, I think I probably picked it up from like a random either video or maybe tweet or something and it must have stuck with me
0: excellent excellent i also want to ask you about the the recent pro tour announcements i'm reasonably certain you've seen them uh you know the pro tours are coming back you know you've been competitive in the past as well and maybe for maybe maybe not so much now because of your focus but um what's your reaction to the the new pro tour announcements if you have any
1: uh, overall, I'm pretty, you know, happy with what they came up with. There's no like necessarily equivalent of GPs anymore, which is maybe a little disappointing, but I think it's a good structure of giving people the opportunity to start out at their local store and then gradually rank up and go to the regional and eventually the pro tour. And uh, yeah, overall, I think it's it's a good system, uh, even if. There's not necessarily the same, if you want to call it, job security for certain pro players. Like, there used to be a system where if you reach a certain status by doing well at tournaments, it's going to be easier to be invited to other tournaments and kind of do professional magic as a living. But I think Wizards has come out to basically say that they don't want necessarily uh, professional players to be able to do this full-time. So in that sense, I think uh, what they came up with is a fair compromise.
0: I think it's good because my guess is that the idea of making a living doing magic stuff as a player is just so hard, right? Like, oh yeah, it, it, it's, it's So I think they've tapped into the idea that now it's more about the prestige. Like, okay, can I spike a pro tour or make the pro tour, and that or the world championships, and that means a lot more to players who are probably doing it part-time than to say, I'm making a living from magic. Because I think living, making a living from magic, my understanding is that you basically have to go into streaming or content creation or articles or videos such as yourself to actually make a proverbial living. So it's not really like you can just use your tournament winnings to to make a reasonable living, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was always
1: amazed that some people did manage to make some sort of living just from tournament winnings but uh, I mean I can't really imagine myself ever getting to that point but uh, yeah I think in general content creation is probably going to be the main breadwinner with tournament winnings just being a nice bonus on top.
0: Yeah and I guess over the years I've also witnessed seeing a lot of former Magic pros or semi-pros or players like just kind of go full-time into streaming and they've just sort of stayed there so when you mentioned the divide between pros and streamers like some streamers now I, I i wouldn't even think of them as pros or players even though they they are or they definitely were for a long time so it's uh it's kind of like the opportunity cost of life right you just have to decide what to focus on yep exactly so would you see yourself participating in these new pro tours at all um maybe if, if one happens to be
1: local then I might try and qualify for it. I haven't been playing too much paper magic recently for obvious reasons, but I do have a couple, you know, modern decks. I wouldn't mind, uh, taking out of the, of the closet and kind of dusting off.
0: Very cool. So Luca, if you don't mind, can we do like a, maybe a round table? I have some community questions that I love to ask you. Yeah, go ahead. All right. So the first one that I want to ask is kind of a general one but how how you approach deck building? In general how do you approach deck building? You know, you mention it in different ways, but are there is there any advice that you might or let's just say perspective you might give to other players?
1: Well, step one I would say is just to familiarize yourself with all the cards that are legal in set format so that can take a while and that's I guess where playing a lot of limited also helps if you just get familiarized with all the cards through through limited you kind of discover a lot of interactions uh, just from playing that so that's always a great starting point if you're may- maybe new to magic and deck building in general so once you kind of get to know all the cards then it's all about kind of drawing upon previous experience and deck building So having, you know, followed coverage for many years and tournament results, you kind of get to know certain patterns of, you know, strategies that work well, cards that work well together, cards that maybe are are better suited to go in certain strategies. And um, with that background information, it becomes easier to build decks yourself. Then there's kind of the basics like, How to build mana bases which i can highly recommend the articles from frank carsten which were posted on channel fireball which have easy kind of reference tables to see how many colored sources you need to play certain cards so that's certainly an important part of deck building as well i guess just having a a good curve is something that's sometimes underestimated But then when it comes to building more kind of thematic decks i usually will start out with one or two cards or maybe a powerful interaction that synergizes well and then i'll basically try and piece together kind of like almost a puzzle try and put all the pieces together and the more interlocking pieces the more synergies you have with all the cards the better the overall deck becomes and at some point of course you'll have to test the deck and uh, kind of take it through its paces and see how it lines up in the meta game, which may or may not also influence your deck building and how certain cards perform. So it's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of, uh, you know, relying on past experiences and what other people have built over the years. So in a way, you're kind of standing on the the shoulder of giants. But uh, yeah, it's definitely a fun and rewarding experience when... A creation that started out as just an idea in your heads eventually finds its final form in paper.
0: I'll add a question to this, which is when you have already created the videos or you're now conceptualizing the videos with certain brews or decks, how much testing or pre-work did you do before you committed to video or recording? It will
1: highly differ I think. Some ideas you just know they're going to work because maybe they're not that different from a deck that's already doing well or that you've built before. Other ideas are maybe a little bit more out there and are a little bit more wild so those might require a little bit more testing to get them right. Other ideas you know you start out very ambitious and then running into the same tier 1 decks over and over, your spirit slowly gets crushed, and you come to the realization that maybe it's not such a uh, realistic idea. So, you know, there's a lot of ideas that get scrapped as well. But uh, in general, nowadays, when I build a deck, I don't need to test it too much, because I've just got a lot of experience to draw from. So it's rare that I have to go back to the drawing board after you know, building the deck for the first time to significantly make changes. But even yesterday I was recording a deck and things didn't quite work out. So I had to go back and re-record my intro, which, uh, you know, took a few more hours than I would have liked. But I always want to make sure that uh, the videos I'm putting out are of a a reasonable quality at least. So if people actually copy the deck list, they can find some form of success with them. Because while it's fun to... Build cool and janky decks that do something fun. Winning is also more fun than losing. So, if I can build a unique deck that's also at least somewhat reasonable and competitive, then that's uh, probably the preferred outcome.
0: So, how often do you think about magic or deck building then? Do you spend a lot of your waking hours thinking about it?
1: Yeah, pretty much all the time, I would say. Like, if I'm taking a shower, that's kind of the perfect opportunity to think about which deck I haven't built yet for the set. And uh, I remember back in the university days when I would have a break during uh, lunch, that's when I would always kind of fantasize about all the, the different cards and interactions. And that was my happy time when I'm thinking about decks and building decks or when I open Arena and I put like two play sets of cards in the deck builder and I'm ready to kind of build a deck around it. That's when I'm at my happiest.
0: It's great hearing you talk about it because I, I feel like there are some similarities between you and deck building and maybe a painter with his or her canvas, right? Like it just seems like such a, a an open area for exploration. And I, I'm just wondering like, if you, if you yourself see those parallels or do you draw from maybe other experiences in, in doing what you do?
1: Yeah, I think it's a pretty fair analogy. For instance, when I'm I'm building a historic brawl deck, which has a 100-card limit, I usually, you know, you start out with your commander, you slowly add cards that synergize with it, what are some good cards in each color, you add more and more cards, so you end up with a pile of like 200 cards. So from there, you kind of have to narrow it down to 100, and I guess you could kind of make the analogy with how maybe a sculptor takes a block of of marble and kind of tries to make some sort of uh statue out of it in the same way i've got my 200 cards and i try and narrow it down and kind of sculpt a a 100 card deck out of it got
0: it my next question to you is and i'm sort of paraphrasing these questions to add on (laughs) my my own questions but i'm wondering like during times of adversity, or maybe even when you're creatively blocked, like how do you find the motivation to keep creating content? I guess this supposes that you've had some moments in time where it's mentally harder to create content, so to speak, than other times, right? First of all, the question is basically, how do you you motivate yourself during challenging times? And number two question is, Do you ever have YouTubers block like kind of like a writer's block?
1: Well, the beauty of Magic is that it has so many different formats. So usually what happens is when one format gets maybe a little bit stale or the metagame's not that fun to play in. That's usually when I'll kind of transition into a different format. So right now on Arena, Standards, I guess, is the most popular format, both, you know, played and as well performing with my videos. Um, But if Standard gets maybe a little boring for me, then I'll often transition to formats like Historic Brawl, which have been a lot of fun lately, and I think is probably the most fun you can have on Arena, so give it a a shot if you haven't already. Um, So yeah, just having all those different formats to switch between means that while I'm still playing Magic, it's still kind of a, a brand new experience when transitioning to other formats, especially if you haven't played them for a while, then maybe there's been a new expansion in the meantime and
0: kind of the experience is entirely different. I guess I can rephrase my question a bit is which is Luca, how do you how do you maintain your motivation in just consistently producing videos as you do? Or or is that just not a generally not a problem because of the things you have described, like you know, finding magic fun or refreshing all the time?
1: Yeah, I don't think it's really been a big issue for me at all. Just because, again, there's so many formats, so many decks to build. Like, unlike other creators that maybe stick to, you know, tier one decks and competitive decks, I I like to dabble in kind of the jank as well every now and then. So, again, if I see a spoiler of a new set, there might be, you know, I don't know, 50 or 100 interesting cards that are worth building around and i usually try and build a deck at least for for every card so means that in between expansions i can usually fill my time making new decks every day without ever running out of ideas
0: next question for you let's say that there are no limits no limitations on any of it what do you think arena can improve on like if you can list maybe the top I don't know two or three things that they could add or improve upon. What would they be, assuming no limits and why? So if I were in charge of arena, I would change a lot of
1: things. Um, first off, I would take some of the good parts from the magic duels games and try and implement those, including you know a better functioning artificial intelligence. So right now on Arena we have Sparky, but as we all know, Sparky doesn't really play Magic all that well. Whereas in the old Duels games, even though I guess the card pool was a lot more limited than on Arena, which, you know, I I don't know about all the technical difficulties that come with programming an AI, but uh, yeah, there there used to be this AI you play against on uh, the Magic Duels games. So when an opponent left in the middle of a game, instead of just automatically ending the game, you still got a chance to finish the game playing against AI. So at least you get the satisfaction of maybe pulling off that combo that you were in the middle of. And uh, also means you actually get to play out the games instead of constantly having opponents concede before the game is over. So that could be a massive improvement to the game, even though I'm sure it would take a lot of work. Something else is the story modes that were in the duels games where with every new set release they would have this pretty brief campaign that was a single player experience where you just play against the AI with you know some predetermined decks that would kind of follow the magic storyline of that particular setting and you know magic has these awesome stories and characters that it has in its its games uh, or in its expansions and it's a shame that they're not taking full advantage of that in Magic Arena, which is kind of completely detached from the, the Magic story. I guess now there's like these little uh, pop-ups in between games while it's loading that try and tell a bit of the, the lore of the sets, but it's it's very limited. So yeah, having some sort of like single-player experience that takes you th- through the storyline would be awesome. And uh, I guess that kind of ties back into having functioning AI as well. But uh, yeah, that would be a massive improvement. Because to be honest, since I've stopped playing the Magic Duels games and went to Magic Online and now Magic Arena... I haven't really been keeping up with the Magic storyline, so I couldn't tell you what's actually happening. Whereas when I was playing in the Magic Duels games, even with just a brief kind of campaign that they introduced with every set, I at least felt like I was up to date on the Magic story. So, yeah, I think that would be a big improvement. Then, you know, of course we can talk about the economy for a couple hours, but in short, I would summarize it as try and make the economy more player-friendly in terms of getting more cards in players hands so they can build more decks which is my favorite part of the game with more deck building there will be more variety fewer repetitive decks put less of an emphasis on winning for your daily quest and just more on game playing in general to push people towards exploring more decks and ideas uh, maybe introducing some sort of achievement system especially for alternate win conditions would be a lot of fun reward players with gems or gold for completing those quests and achievements. I can see myself doing a whole series of, you know, how to get certain achievements by getting an alternate win condition and kind of building a deck around it. That would be awesome. I want people to kind of experience the joy I have when I'm building a deck for the first time and, yeah, going through, through all those emotions and experiences. So I feel like the current direction arena has had it while it's certainly doing a lot of things right you know getting every expansion out at the, at the right time and making sure cards are mostly functional there's still a lot of uh, areas it can improve
0: i love your answers because they are so accommodating for people who are not just purely in arena to grind or to get to platinum or mythic or whatever level they they are and just like there's a lot of magic possibilities for people that are not just caring about winning like the lore, knowing the characters like brewing and i i feel like it doesn't get talked about enough at least on twitter or social because most people are just thinking about like i'm a tournament grinder how do i make arena better for me right and and i think your suggestions even the ai thing where um you know people want to play out their janky combos right and if everyone concedes on you like as you're doing the combo it's not it's not fun for you personally so like you know be able to have an ai so that you can continue your thing so you can tell a cool story or or take a screenshot of it that seems really cool to me
1: yeah for sure like going to kind of mark rosewater's player profiles of like timmy johnny spike I think right now Arena only really caters to the the Spike personality uh, at most, Mm -hmm. whereas kind of the Timmies and the the Johnnies are are left out a little bit. So a few of those suggestions could maybe pull some more people in that aren't necessarily spiky players that only care about winning and tournament results, but also care about other aspects of the game, which again is one of the strengths of Magic, is its diversity of formats and how it appeals to certain players in different ways so the more kind of players it caters to the bigger audience it'll have the bigger its growth will be but uh yeah it's kind of difficult to put that into into words and numbers that i guess shareholders and people at the top will
0: necessarily listen to well hey i've got a suggestion it it's uh i'm i'm sorry if it's not a question for you but just thinking about it i think magic is very incentivized to to grow the audience that's not Spikes, right? Because there's just so many people out there. I mean, just look at Commander. Like, if Arena could just become the next great Commander client, I think that would just be like an amazing thing, right? Just bring more people into the game and uh, and Brewers as well, right? Because you can do nearly infinite things with Commanders and, and building decks, so. Oh yeah, like the old Duels games
1: also had uh, Two-Headed Giants as a game mode. And I uh, definitely have some fond memories of playing that with friends. Even if they maybe didn't have the the best decks, just, you know, having at least one player with a decent deck already give you a finding chance. So I think there's just a ton of ways Magic Arena can improve, and multiplayer is certainly a big part of that.
0: Yeah, I think, if anything, talking to you has made me want to explore duels now. I mean, I, I guess it's no longer around, right? But... Uh... Yeah, I think, I mean, it still
1: probably works. I don't know if it's going to be easy to find an opponent. But I remember, you know, about a year ago, when maybe Arena was down for maintenance, I booted up uh, the duels games just for fun. And I think I actually managed to find an opponent pretty quickly. So
0: I think people might still be playing it. On a non-magic related note, do you have any hobbies or interests that I'm going to guess they're probably not as interesting to you as MTG, but I mean, do you you have any uh, non-MTG hobbies or anything that you're currently uh, really into?
1: Uh, Not really anything to the same extent as Magic. I mean, I still play some other video games every now and then, mostly kind of strategy and card games, but uh, they usually don't last for more than a week or two before I move on to the next thing. So. Yeah, mostly mostly magic, and you know I'll I'll watch some some YouTube series or TV shows every now and then, but nothing really worth uh, mentioning, I don't think.
0: Got it, Luca. Where can people find you on social? What's the best way for people to to experience your content?
1: Well, I'm on YouTube at youtube.com for slash legendvd. That's L-E-G-E-N-V-D and uh, i'm also on twitter although not super active there and then occasionally i'll stream on twitch as well all under
0: the same username excellent luca it's been a real pleasure getting a chance to talk to you today and i you've just given me a lot of ideas and a lot of just inspiration as well about creating so thank you so much for Being so gracious with your time and sitting down with me to do this. Well, thank you very much, James, for letting me be a part of this.
1: And I'm looking forward to seeing people's feedback on the the episode.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Humans of Magic. Please give us a follow on Twitter at humansofmagic.com and visit our website, humansofmagic.com. We'll see you next time.